0: Welcome to another of the 10 Minutes with Cood Street podcast. This is Gary Wolf, and today I'm delighted to be joined by multiple award-winning uh, writer and and fairly recently minted Ph.D., Nicola Griffith. Uh, if I didn't get a chance to congratulate you on the Ph.D. in person, here it is, Nicola. How are you doing?
1: I'm good, thank you, and I'm, I'm very happy to be a Ph.D., although it's so weird when people Want to call me Doctor Griffith? I'm like, oh, you know, if you call me Doctor Griffith, I have to call you Ms. So and So, or Mister So and So, or or Lord So and So, or whatever. So that's was, been it's been odd.
0: Yeah, it's it's odd. And I was told once uh, years ago that you get to call yourself Doctor for about a year, and after that it becomes pretentious. Yeah. Or or as one of my professors put it to, at the University of Chicago, which can be a very elitist. Uh, institution intellectually uh he said at the university of chicago the term doctor is reserved for physicians and scientists who deserve it and divines (laughs) and educationists who need it Uh and for the rest of us you know it's just fine to be who you are Mm
1: -hmm.
0: how are you and uh, kelly doing during this hunkering down period
1: we're doing okay um it is we're both used to working at home we're set up for it. Mm-hmm. Kelly's working sixty hour weeks, so I'm feeling a bit like a zoom widow mm-hmm. and um I'm restless I'm used to being on my own a lot, and of course, at home now it it's Seattle spring is beautiful. I get to sit on the deck with the flowers and the oh. cats. um but uh, I miss going out for coffee i miss having lunch with friends uh, zoom cocktails are all that they're, they're lovely they're mm-hmm. better than nothing but there's just nothing like hugging a friend and seeing the expression on their face and just getting a sense of how they're doing in person
0: it's true you can't really convey that over a zoom meeting or, or even any kind of Video connection, I guess. Well, are you able to get any reading done during this? Because I'm finding that people are um, sometimes trying to use this to read, you know, Proust or, or I'm finally going to read, I don't know, Miss Macintosh, my darling, and other people, are, <laughs> other people are saying I can read children's books as <laughs> all.
1: I've had a very uh, mixed reaction to reading. To start with i couldn't read at all i couldn't settle at all and then i realized i had all these obligations of reading so what i've been reading the the first month basically of quarantine has been all the books i've been reading for blurbs so for example Mm -hmm. i got round finally to reading olaf Audenson, the new um translation it's by sigrid unset written in the 20s but a new translation by um the English pronunciation oh. would be Tina Nunnally. Um, and she's a brilliant translator. It's just that I really don't like Sigrid Unset very much. Uh, I don't like her work. Yeah, she she, 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 she captures yeah. Norway brilliantly. She's a really good um, historical novelist. It's just that... ah. Uh, she her work reminds me of. Are you familiar with old Joss Whedon's body of work? Things like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. She <laughs> Sigrid Unset is like Joss Whedon. She has never found a couple that she doesn't want to destroy. I mean, <laughs> there are no happy endings, and and that drives me crazy. So that's. One of the things I've been reading. And and then I read um, another historical novel, but this time set in the Second World War. And speaking of my PhD, it was written by the woman who was my external examiner for the uh-huh. PhD, Maggie Brooks. That's her, her pen name, Maggie Brooks. And it's called The Prisoner's Wife, and it's set in the Second World War. And uh, she does a brilliant job of of Shedding this really fine line between looking at what it's like to be a prisoner of war and all the grimness inherent in that while still maintaining empathy with the reader. So she doesn't pop you out by getting too grim. It reminded me very much of um, reading Octavia Butler. Mm. And I, I'm sure you're familiar with Kindred and, and how well, Butler does that. How terrible it is to be a slave without really going there and making it so terrible that the reader can't bear to read it.
0: Yeah, there was some controversy. Well, not controversy. I mean, at, at the time, before, I, th- I think before, certainly before Butler's death, where people were saying, "Well, the time travel thing is is too comforting uh, that you know, our main character uh, no, experiences the horrors of slavery." but is going to be yanked back into the present, which I remember I actually asked Octavia about that once. And that's why she comes back without an arm. Uh, in other words, she wants us to know that this char- that that uh, what's the character's name again? Uh, I'm, I'm blanking on the name, but she wants us to know that, no, this character is not getting off undamaged from the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and I think I've, I've, I've taught the novel several times. And that comes up again and again. Students say, why does she have to return to the present with her arm stuck in in, in the wall? And it's because, yeah, you know, you really have to pay for these things. You even do, though, Yeah.
1: yeah. But yeah. you can't you can't make your characters pay too much. Mm-hmm.
0: Otherwise, your readers won't follow you. I think that's true. Well, um, you've had an just um, to divert for a second. You did a very good job in, in, in um so lucky of describing in a sort of terrifying way what it's like to come down with a disabling disease. Mm-hmm. Um, and yet by the end of the novel it's a, a, that's a fascinating novel in all kinds of ways you can sort of gallop through three or four genres before it's over and it's a short novel. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. But it, it it so it turns out to be a kind of corporate thriller and it's a, it's a story about this and about disability about learning to live with disability. But then it turns out to be a, a kind of a crime thriller by the time it's over.
1: <laughs> well, I, I had to try figure out how on earth to tell what, if you just looked at the flap copy, would be an incredibly depressing story. Well, yeah. And so I had to externalize her difficulty. And so I did that by doing this real transition in the middle from the internal angst to the external threat, and yeah. that's why it becomes this thriller. And uh, but because that was the only way to do it, without again, without turning the whole thing into a misery memoir. And and people can cope with misery if it's a memoir, but this was fiction. I didn't want
0: to write a memoir. Mm-hmm. I can understand that. And, yeah. and and the other thing that the, the thriller plot gives you is that there is some kind of re- resolution. Mm-hmm. And, there are clearly some things set up in the novel for which resolution is going to be long and difficult if it ever comes. But at least the bad guys get caught.
1: <laughs> exactly. I love the bad guys getting it in the neck.
0: <laughs> well, do you have any comfort reading things that you would sort of suggest people might look at in times of stress? Oh, absolutely. Yes. Um,
1: I actually wrote a blog post about this, Kurt. Ha, uh, huh. good books for hard times or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um in which I trot out all my absolute favorites. So, top of the list is Patrick O'Brien. Oh. I love his Aubrey-Maturin novels. I have read these things. I mean, it's a 20 book series, and I have read them I would say certainly the first 11 or 13 I've read 20 times. Wow. I love I love these books. They are they to me they're the practically platonic ideal of novels. They, they have the highs, the lows. They're quite Shakespearean in that that you have the mechanicals, you know, the people mm-hmm. with the accents, the common folk. Um, but
0: they're all real. They're so specific. That but was all, what struck, yeah. What struck me about them is that he. How does he know all this stuff about what it must have been like? Uh, you know, in the, I mean, the details of the ships are extremely i guess well researched and i guess there's a lot of documentation of it Mm -hmm. i I was terribly disappointed there was only one movie and i gather it didn't do well enough it was
1: uh, it was a terrible movie That's yeah
0: that's part of the problem i mean they
1: started at like book 13 or whatever it's like
0: they they took bits out of three or four
1: books yeah Yeah, and none of it hung together none of it really captured the characters it was just i tell you if i'd been patrick o'brien i would have gone after somebody for
0: that (laughs) what other uh, recommendations do you have
1: it's mostly honestly mostly historical fiction actually the thing that all these books i want to recommend have in common is that they're set outside there's nature in them Ah. so um mary stewart's the crystal cave love it's all you know magic and many and but also a, a lot of what these books have in common is um, a kind of sword and pony, whacking people's heads off with swords, um, mm-hmm. magic, fantasy, outdoor adventure with real characters that that we root for. Um, so the Crystal Cave, Rosemary yeah, Rose Butcliffe's Sword at Sunset. um Susan Cooper's The Dark is Rising. I actually don't like the series. I just like that one book one yeah I, I love that book. I think it's brilliant and then there's uh Mary Renault um I like uh Fire from Heaven is my favorite I think
0: uh-huh. for
1: this kind of time um and then there's queer fiction, so mm. i would I would go for probably sarah waters fingersmith it's um because her 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 first book tipping the velvet it was fun but it was just it followed the absolute classic um lesbian coming out novel structure that that uh-huh. everyone has been following since ruby fruit jungle and and i just thought it was just boring i could almost do it by page numbers like yeah. what, what happened when
0: It's it's kind of a genre. It was. I guess it still is kind of a genre unto itself.
1: Yeah, I think less so. I haven't haven't seen much in those terms lately, but that could just be that I ignore them because it's just getting kind of boring. Mm -hmm. Um, And then Ellen, an old novel, Ellen Golford's Mole Cut Purse, which is basically about uh, this real historical figure called the Roaring Girl from, uh, I think, the 16th century. But she was a, a rogue in the London underground and mm. uh, cut a swath through all the ladies of London.
0: So it's enormous fun. It's really it sounds like a lot of fun. What have you got uh, coming out uh, in the near future? Well, everybody is asking you this and you've answered it many times. and You've answered it. <laughs> but there is a sequel to Hill that is Somewhere in the near future.
1: Yes, and I actually have a huge amount of it. I have 170,000 words of that so far. The problem is, is that I'm not very far along in it. I mean, honestly, if I kept writing at this rate, this would be a million word book. So I every now and again, I have to stop and recalibrate and think, okay, how can I prevent this being? A million word book, a million word book that um, has lots of depressing parts in it, because the biggest problem I've run across with writing Meanwood is so many of the favorite characters I set up in book one have to die because history says so. Yeah. And it's just it's just awful. It's like, oh, here's this other person that you love oop, dead. <laughs> <laughs> so I have to I have to keep finding this path through the horror, to to all the good parts, to um, Hild building a new world, basically. It, think, it's kind of like the post-COVID thing that one day, hopefully, maybe we will get to, where we have to create all our institutions and ways of doing things anew. It's a bit like that right now for me. So it is going slowly, but I am enjoying it. I'm loving doing the research for it, of course. Of course. And well, I just I just love Hilt. It's just it's just great to be in that world. But the thing I'm really excited about right now is another book that I've just written. Ah. Uh-huh. And it is ah uh, I have had I had the most fun writing this thing. I think it's the most fun I've had since I first started writing Hilt. Really? Yo yeah it's um it's set in sixth century wales and it's um sword swang in fantasy with magic oh cool <laughs> yeah no this is i i am so excited about this it is it makes me tremble with joy i can't wait for people to read it the problem is i've only just finished it and just sent it to my agent so i have no idea there is another problem with it too which is that it's too long to be a novella, and it's kind of too short to be a novel. It is very short. It's it's I, longer than it's longer than So Lucky, but it's
0: very well, short. As, as a reviewer, very short is always good news. <laughs> but uh, it's yeah. uh, so it doesn't have a title yet because I know that sort of thing gets negotiated. Um,
1: well, sometimes I call it Red. And sometimes uh-huh. I call it spear enduring and sometimes I call it just spear. But it's basically sixth century Wales if Arthur was real and if magic walked the earth and if um, Percival slash were a
0: girl. OK, that sounds like fun.
1: Yeah, no, I had the best time. I, like I say, I can't wait for people to read this one.
0: Well, again, we're just past our, uh, past our 10 minutes. I always go past 10 minutes. Nobody seems to care. <laughs> but anyway, again, this has been the Cood Street Podcast. We've been spending 10 minutes with Nicola Griffith. And thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure.